Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hey, Heidi Ho. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are happy to have Mr. John Lafayette Ramey. Being a musician means that you sometimes have to work another job to pay the bills. The history of rock music is replete with career-balancing acts of one kind or another. Nirvana's Kurt Cobain was a janitor. Van Halen's original frontman David Lee Roth was a hospital orderly. Rap empress Queen Latifah worked at Burger King. And then there's Los Angeles' John Lafayette Ramey, a singer and songwriter with a pile of catchy, slightly countrified and self-deprecating songs spread over a pair of records. His debut album arrived in 2006, and another is on the way, scheduled for a late summer 2012 release. But Ramey also spends some of his busy days as a sports broadcaster for UCLA baseball and UC Riverside basketball. And these are the kind of jobs that a lot of kids who aren't dreaming about being rock stars dream of having. Sports and music have sometimes made strange bedfellows, but Ramey is equally adept at both disciplines. But who will call the games when Ramey hits it big with his music career? Well, let's find out, shall we? Welcome to Independence Day, John Lafayette Ramey. I'm very stoked to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and stoked is a, that's a good thing to be in terms of this kind of, it's a very California word. I'm happy that you're stoked. And so from this point forward, we're going to dispense with this middle name because there's, I know you as John Ramey. Yes, many do. And there's, but there's another John Ramey. How is this possible? There is another John Ramey who's a songwriter and okay. he's based out of Nashville. Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee. That we're talking about here. Yeah. And so I thought I have a cool middle name. We'll just we'll get it in there for some differentiation. So that's your that's your legit middle name. Yeah, that's not me. that's not a made up name. That's actually my middle name. That's a cool. Is, is it a family name? It is. Grandfather, grandmother. Grandfather had it as his middle name, and I think my grandfather, great grandfather, had it as his first name. Okay, that's cool. There's names that run through families. My family is Freeman. You know, I've got a I've grandfather. It's all that's like usually the middle name. I think the great grandfather was Freeman Armstrong, and then it's like middle names with a first D. Like there's like there's like six of them in my family. I didn't get Freeman it. Armstrong. That's, yeah, that's a good name. Yeah, if you're especially if you're from Alabama, indeed. In any case, man, thank you for coming over and doing this tonight. I really appreciate it. You're a songwriter and a guy that I respect, and I love having people I respect on the show. Tell me, you know, I mentioned this before. Sports and music sometimes are, are like kind of weird bedfellows. When I was in high school, for example, it was like warring factions of sports and music. You couldn't do both in my high school. Like, were you a, into sports as a young man? And, like, did they was – it, was it something that always existed? Or, like, in your world, it seems like it exists just fine. Yeah, you know, I, I gave it some thought recently, and I realized, well, let's think about this. My mom, my mother, is a musician and is a, a trained musician, has a music degree, was a piano teacher for a time when okay. I was growing up. And my dad was and remains a sports broadcaster. Okay. And so they've just been kind of two areas, and both of them are passionate about the other's pursuit, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of always been something, two things I've been interested in and have been able to participate in um, really quite fortunately from a very early age. Did you play sports as well? Yeah. I mean, I played, I played organized sports through junior high school. By the time I was high school age, I knew that I wasn't passionate enough to put the effort, let alone have the inherent genetic ability to be an yeah. elite athlete. And I was always playing music in school. I took piano lessons as a, as a young kid, and then I played in the band. 
in elementary school and junior high and in high school. So I did some sports broadcasting in high school. I did a lot. And then I was also in the band. And then by the end of high school, I was writing songs a lot and playing in rock bands. Yeah. Sports broadcasting is like a, it's an interesting subgenre of broadcasting in general because you, you actually have to know the sport that you're talking about. You know, it's like, oh, he just got a goal. Right. You know, right. or she got a whatever. You right. Know, the Quidditch is, <laughs> is escaping her, whatever, you know. So did you just f- fall into that kind of thing? Like, how, how does one get started? Like, my high school didn't, we didn't, I don't know if we broadcast our games. No, I, you know, I went to games. Some of my earliest memories ever are being in the booth with my dad, um, like when I was a little kid. And, and then later when I got a little bit older, he would bring me and I'd work as a spotter for him. He okay. did play-by-play for many years in the Bay Area. And so that was always just kind of a positive environment, positive experience for me, bonding with my dad. And then there was a local TV station in, in the San Francisco suburb I grew up in, Walnut Creek, that um, was carrying some local high school basketball, including my high school. And somebody suggested that I might contact them. And I did. And so by the end of my freshman year, I was broadcasting basketball on local cable access TV. Yeah. And then, you know, all the while, in fact, that very year, my freshman year, that spring, our basketball team was pretty good, went deep in the playoffs, and I had to miss a game because our marching band had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to play in Taiwan. Oh, man. So, yeah, I I just – it's always been something that's coexisted, and and it's two things that I've been very passionate about. I haven't always – had equal passion for both, and they've you know taken on different forms in my life. But right now, both are um, really great. You know, I'm really I'm I'm as pleased with both disciplines as I've been ever. And what you know, that's the funny thing. Like you run into a lot of like rock musicians, folk musicians, whatever, who were in something like a marching band or yeah. symphonic band. You know, and then there's not like I never played in any like symphonic band or marching band because I didn't play what I refer to as a legitimate instrument. Like guitar was always my principal and voice, of course. Now I've tinkered with a million like bass and drums, but never in like a formal setting like that. So what what was your principal? Well, initially, my mom was smart. We had a piano in the house and I was banging on it. By There's the also no piano in marching band though. Yeah, no, there's not. So I played piano like as a little kid, six to 10. And by that time, I really wanted to play saxophone. Okay. And I think that came from my dad's record collection. He had a bunch of old rock and roll 45s that I liked a lot. Um, so I wanted to play saxophone, and I enrolled in that in the, the public elementary school, fifth grade. They had it. They offered yeah. it. Yeah, that's what, that was fifth grade is when it happens to yeah. everybody. You know? And I, I had transferred from a private school into a public school in sixth grade. So like everyone had just started that. Now, yeah. I was already playing guitar. But I'm by one school year, I missed because the private school was kind of—I don't want to say it was poor, but sure, it, you know, we paid to go there, so the parents didn't want to flip for instruments too. Right. It's like we were already paying to go to Catholic school, so I missed it, you know, which in some ways was a benefit because I never had to go out and stand in the rain, right, in suburban Chicago on a cold October or November <laughs> night, right. and like play in try, a funny tr- hat, tried in a funny hat and, and, and <laughs> pants that polyester pants that don't fit, and try to warm up my reed to play yeah. in tune in, in the sleet, yeah. You know, so I, I'm not crying about that. It was an interesting experience. And, you know, I, w- I never really, I mean, if we can speak frankly, I never was quite that enthusiastic about being a marching band guy. And I think I was probably a little insecure about it, to be honest. But it was a great experience. And then, then there's the symphonic component and also the jazz ensemble. Right. 
And that's where I first really became aware of this incredible thing called improvisation. Right. And it's when I began to kind of have an idea that you didn't have to read all the notes, which was kind of my preferred methodology anyway. Oh, really? That's a, that's a classical thing. I never, you know, my piano teachers when I was a little kid used to give me grief because I would kind of figure out whatever the piece was by ear, and then I'd kind of want to look at my hands and not look at the notes. And they would say, well, that's not exactly the right thing. And I just wasn't that interested. Yeah. So by the time I got playing jazz, that was really cool. Yeah. And then, you know, I heard other musics and, you know, there was a guitar around the house. I mean, look, talk about good fortune. I got a dad in the sports broadcasting industry. I have a mom who's a a professional musician. There's a guitar and a piano in the house. So, I mean... How could you be anything other than what you are? It's kind of funny now. You know, at the time, it didn't seem that apparent or even that specific, but... Yeah, it's, it's it's actually, I was very fortunate. It's a huge influence, like what's in your world, because that's normal to you as a kid. Like you talk, like you think about like abused children, like going on to grow up and then abuse their wives or children or yeah. husbands or whatever, because it's what you know is what's normal. Whatever you grew up with is normal. And for you, you grew up with sports and music being around all the time. So yeah. it's completely, completely germane to your life. And then something is seemingly un- uh, unremarkable as, oh, well, and then the public school offered music courses with instruments. Yeah. Or maybe we had to rent an instrument. But yeah. I mean, you but know. it was dirt cheap. Still, I mean, that, you know, that was kind of normal. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot, I'm sure a lot of talented people. Yeah, indeed. And you are a talented guy. I'd like to play a little something. You've got a new record coming out. Tell us about it a little bit. Just a, just a quick thing. We'll talk about it more in depth after the track. Tell me, what, what's it called? The record of the track. Well, the record, first and foremost. The album is called Reminiscent Killings of the Heart. Okay. And um, it is about five different records I started and never finished. And then about a year ago, I realized, boy, I have a lot of songs in the can, so I need to put something out. It's It's yeah. been six years since my last one. Okay. Well, let's hear a little bit something from this, because we'll come back. We'll talk more about it, like how, how you got to put this record together and where it's going, and and I want to hear all about it. But for now, I want to give people listen to what this sounds like. So this is an unreleased track, correct? I mean, most people haven't heard this. I'm correct. Assuming? Okay. Correct. This is this is John Lafayette Ramey here on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. We come to you live every Wednesday night from the beautiful, uh, beautiful Pasadena, California, where it's uh, soupy hot today, soupy sandwich, man. Uh, and this is the track "Hard for Good People to Live" with John Lafayette Ramey.
John Lafayette Ramey here on Independence Day. As I said before, woo, I agree. My name is Joe Armstrong. This is the show Independence Day. You can learn everything you need to know about us on the interwebs. We are indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. Also, that's pretty much our presence throughout the worldwide internets. Facebook.com slash Day and Twitter handle is at Day. Also, John Ramey, you want to learn about him. JohnRameyMusic.com, isn't that right? That is right. And you've got the Twitter, though. You're at John L. Ramey. That is also so right. So you can follow us. I mean, figuratively speaking, <laughs> you can... Uh, I, I suppose you really could follow us. We, we don't... I'm easy to find. It's Los Angeles. Yeah. It's easy to find, you know. Usually I'm on Magnolia and Burbank yeah. most nights, you know. <laughs> uh, a tall, uh, a delicious, uh, refreshing uh, drink of water. Yeah. You know. In any case, I digress. Thank you, John. It's great to have you here. We were talking about this brand new record of yours coming out. You said it's going to be shipping like imminently, like yeah. the day after tomorrow. Well, you know, as an independent artist, right. uh, my job does not stop when the red light goes off in the recording studio. And I've spent the summer trying to get the right, you know, format of the art files and you know, approve the audio proofs. I mean, you know, I'm doing it through disc makers. You're doing your own thing, like yeah. self-financing the whole thing, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the whole deal. It's so different now because you are you are the artist, the songwriter. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you producing yourself or did you have a producer along? I, you know, I gave, I did not self-produce this. I had a lot of help. Okay. Okay. But you mean, so, and you have, of course, there's other musicians on it and you paid to have it mastered, but you're also, so in theory, you're, you are your own record label you yes. are your own booking agent. You are your own promoter. Correct. So, I mean, that's that's what we all have to do now. You know, I mean, which one is your favorite of those? And I mean, I, I mean other than music, I guess. Well, I mean, I like writing the songs. I like playing them, right? Right. Um, other than the obvious. Uh, it's all fairly uninspirational for me to do the other things. You know what I really enjoyed? I enjoyed doing the art. I okay. enjoyed taking the photographs. Me and a songwriter friend of mine, Brian Spence, went out, took a photograph kind of over... Uh, the 101 for the cover of this next record. Which bridge is that? It was Rampart uh, or Benton. I don't know. It might be Benton or Rampart, but it's right there um, on the 101 facing west. A very uh, general homage to the Randy Newman Little Criminals yeah. cover. I got to meet Randy this year. How was he? He's tired. Cool. Cool as can be. Cool. But he's, he's, when you see him in person, he's a little older than you would imagine him sure. to be. But I mean, such a, I mean, he's, his personality just fills the room. Fills the room. Anyway, well, sorry. Yeah, no, but that's, you know, he's a tremendous hero and inspiration. So, I mean, it's a slight on my, and it's also my neighborhood, and it's more or less the part of town I've been living in the whole time, and all those songs were 
written or finished or played or kicked around kind of right yeah. there. So but I enjoyed doing the art and I enjoyed kind of, you know, doing the, the, you know, Photoshop, whatever. That was cool. That felt creative. That felt enjoyable and creative. I'm not, I don't love booking. I don't love promoting. I tell you what though. I mean, if you want to do it, you got to do it. Right. I mean, it's just, you got to, you got to wear it. As John Savage, the UCLA baseball head coach says, whenever they're, Bruins are playing somewhere maybe where there's it's going to be hot out or the facility isn't great or they got to play a double header because they got rained out. You got to wear it. Yeah. And so you know, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. It's not sexy all the time as you well know. Yeah. That's just it, you know, like the 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 music buying public like they get these romantic notions of what it's like to be a musician <laughs> and you know, they think you know, and, and you can go pretty far into the business, yeah. like believing this faux version of what we think the music business is. Like, oh, the record label's just going to send a limo to the airport to pick you up. Sure. But they don't tell you the limo costs $300 and it's charged against your album. You know, that's kind of the whole recoupable business that you really learn about. Did, did you ever read Jake Slichter's book, So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star? No, I'm not. He was the drummer from the band Semisonic, you know, that band out of Minneapolis. Sure. Closing Time was sure. the band. Um, Dan Wilson was the singer, and he's gone on to be kind of a ringer. I think he writes like a ringer songwriter. He writes with Dixie Chicks, yep. and you know, he's done some solo records. But Slichter wrote this record uh, from the perspective of someone who kind of rode that wave of like a huge single, and they got really big, and then you know, and then it just went away, just like it does with most bands. Like you know, we count those bands that we think are legendary, and but just, you really think about it, there's not that many no. that have that status, you know. And there's a lot of them. You know, the Beatles, half of them are dead. And they were their heyday was forty years ago. No, I mean the the music business is a blue collar gig until you yeah. reach a very rarefied, uh, you know, air of right. earning and I guess brand saturation or however you want to call your revenue stream. Yeah, like I, you know, in addition to doing my own stuff, I will be a sideman for people I love. Oh, yeah, you know, and I just got off the road this past weekend with. Grant Langston. Uh-huh. I was playing bass in the Supermodels. Grant is my ab- – I, I said Randy Newman's my hero. That's kind of like a childhood hero and an artistic inspiration. Grant is my day-to-day hero, right? He does it all on his own terms. He does everything himself. He manages to dot every I and cross every T and do every single thing an independent artist should and can do to enhance their the things they can control, right? Yeah. And uh, I was just, you know, talking to people about going on the road this weekend. I said, oh, yeah, we're going to go to just outside San Francisco. We're going to go to Reno, and then we're going to go to this festival up in Weed up by the Oregon border. Yeah. And you you know how this goes. People are like, oh, my gosh, how much fun. there will be all the groupies. You're going to have – it's going to be a party. All the free booze Yeah, and all it's those. like, hey, man, I, you, you can't get wasted because you got to – Load the amps After out of the, the end. gig. You have to drive to the next drive town to the next from town. like midnight until six a.m. Yeah, whatever. like you know, oh, the girls really loved us. Yeah, but I mean, I had to help move the drum hardware bag out. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not like yeah, yeah, it's not what people think it is. I guess is what we're getting at. You know, it's and there's good things to it. We still it's not it. a complaint. It's right. just it's. Just, very different to right. what they... Uh, we do it because we love it. But the reality of what we think it's going to be yeah. when we're in high school based on what it really is, right. is, is, a, is a, and it, it's very disparate. And it's very true. It's kind of you get this, uh, or at least for me, and I, I'm kind of getting that vibe from you, like you get this kind of um, uh, this soft filter like dream image of 
what it will be like. Right. You know, but you have to have that. Otherwise, nobody would ever do this. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have, you know, I have had like an incredible time. I've had an incredible time being a low rent musician. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I shouldn't you say know, that low rent, low earning. No, it's cool. I, I get what you're saying. I wouldn't trade my experience for anything. You know, the ups, the downs, the, you know, the, the, crappy stuff you know it makes you it makes you a better human i think ultimately and you're doing what you love you know and i guess the main thing you know i want to hear you play a song after we talk about this real quick but like i think the main thing is that you have to keep loving it because if you stop loving it then you've lost you know what i mean then that's that's I guess, and it comes in two different flavors. Like, there's those musicians you hear about who are super famous, and they get their, like, semi-sonic, for example. Like, you know, does Dan Wilson play closing time at every one of his shows ever more, or does he not? You know, or does, you know, the, like, the one-hit wonder bands, or, like, even a band like, you know, there's bands like, like Styx and REO Speedwagon, mm-hmm. like, you see them on these, like, state fair circuits, and you think, you know, as a musician, you sometimes you think, well, what a crappy gig. But they may not have a day job. They right. may, like, play with their kid, from Monday through Friday, and then fly out Friday evening or thir- whatever, thir- Friday morning to some three done three night tour somewhere, do three state fairs in the Midwest, and come back a Sunday night or Monday morning and play with their kid again for another four days. Your priorities change. Yeah, totally. I mean, I you know I say this both about people ask me about sports broadcasting and they ask me about music, and my stock kind of line is it beats working. Yeah, you know, and both, than a real both, job. both are actually very hard work, but it, it's it's fun. Yeah, you know that the results are tangible and you own it. It's yeah. uh it becomes you know, you are what you do to a large extent. Yeah, the best thing in the world is doing something you love, I think, or the best thing you could possibly do, whether that's lying around in a hammock, drinking mai tais, or playing music and sweating it out. You know, those guys, those punk guys who ride around in vans, they live in vans. I can't, you know. I some, can't express some of those guys my love, admiration for them enough. They love that. Like yes. Mike Watt, as I understand, the guy's older than me, he lives in a van as far yeah. as, I mean, not literally, but he, I think he has a house or an apartment or whatever, but that's not really his home. Like he's out, he's sleeping in a van outside of a club in Dubuque yeah. or wherever, you know? I mean, even at a really high level, somebody like Bob Dylan, who we were listening to a new song of his today earlier, you know, he doesn't have to go and tour 200, 300 dates a year no. or whatever he does. Yeah. B- Bob Dylan could sit at home and count his money. Yeah. And yeah, he, you know, he's traveling first class or whatever. And yeah, he doesn't have to lift his own amp. But at the end of the day, you still got to get up off your butt and sing for two hours yeah. with a guitar on your neck. Yeah. And Oh, he doesn't he, play guitar anymore. Or though, whatever, you know. Every time I see that guy, he's not playing guitar. Hey, whatever, you know, yeah. I'll give him a pass. But yeah, it's, that's not nothing. I mean, that is, that's effort. And that's effort yeah. he doesn't even have to make. So yeah, it speaks guy's, to that love. Yeah, and the guy's 70-some years old, right? And he's still out yeah. there. Van Morrison, too. Same deal. Anyway. All right. So how about you? Let's talk about you. Enough about Van Morrison. About, <laughs> uh, and, and Mr. Dillon. Is, but Mr. Zimmerman. What do you got? You're going to play a tune for us. What do you got for us? I'm going to play a song called Beneath the Broken Light Bulb. This new as well? This is on the new record. The new record, new album, I should say. It's a CD. It's a double album. And this oh, is on the second disc. That's cool. No wonder it yeah. took so long. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> Frankly, it was cool to, cool to have two discs worth of material. Okay. So, So, let's hear this. Beneath 
mother Down by the courthouse She didn't recognize me Saw your boyfriend Down by the bathhouse Yes, he's handsome, I agree John Ramey, ladies and gentlemen, or as we have to know him tonight, John Lafayette Ramey. I live in Lafayette Street, coincidentally, which I think is funny. It's a French word, but here in Los Angeles, like half my mail shows up to La Fayette Street, like La, the Spanish article. Right. You know, you get that? At all? I guess you don't spell it. You don't put your middle name on everything, though, do they? No, but it's been done for sure. Interesting. I've seen it. You've got Espanol is king here in Los Angeles. See. Si. See. Si. See, see, see. So that is a brand new track, a brand new song. Like, what, what kind of timeline? Like these songs, you said you've been kind of saving these up for several years. Like, this is this because I mean, why, why such a long break? Like six years is kind of a long break between records. I mean, you're not Boston. No, no, and it wasn't like uh, 
It wasn't planned. Okay. Um, you know, honestly, probably just a little lack of focus. Okay. Um, there was always a lot of material. I mean, are you know, that's, fairly, that's are something you, I wrote. Are you fairly prolific? I mean, who's to say? You know, I never, I never feel like, you know, when you first start writing songs and then you don't for a month or two or something and you go, oh, gosh, did it go away? But, you know, I, I was well past that point by the time. I mean, there's some stuff on this record that's from as early as 2001. And the first track you played, Hard for Good People to Live, is the most recent track on this record, which is like end of 2010. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a, truly about five different recording projects that I kind of started and didn't finish. Whereas my first record was four people, one studio, about two weeks. I mean, okay. it was a real band yeah. effort with specific material. This is, is much more of a kind of an anthological effort. Um, yeah. But, you know, that song's from 2007, and it's been in my live act since 2007. Okay. And it's, it's interesting, you know, because I think some of that is a function of when you do things as an independent artist. You know, you're doing all these other functions. And if it's not your main bread and butter gig, right? because I have friends who are like that, like they diligently wake up and whether they're on the road or not, spend eight hours or more working on their music career. But it's their actual full-time gig. You know, when it's not, which I, I, I guess I'm kind of assuming is the case with you, knowing what the other things that you do, you know, other things, you do other things, Sure. In your life. So, you know, you can't spend eight hours a day doing your music, even if you wanted to. I mean, there have been times, very, you know, short spurts in my life where I've made my total living as a musician, but that was more as a sideman than anything. Yeah. And that was, again, for very brief periods. I mean, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, that's no way to live unless, you, yeah. <laughs> unless you're earning it at a much higher level. Yeah. But, you know, in some, some ways, though, like I have always... I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to know what you think about this. Like, as a, as a songman or songwriter, frontman type of person, like, I really enjoy playing in other people's bands. It, like, takes the pressure off. Like, I still prefer to do my own thing. But when you're doing it for someone else, like, it's, you can almost enjoy it more. Like, show up on time, be respectful, learn the tunes, play the tunes, and, like, not have to carry the day. Right. It's know? got, all that is true. I've gotten to the point now where, and, you know, I, I feel I have a pretty good understanding of what I expect of myself as a frontman. And so there are a lot of people that I love, you know, dearly as friends and artists. But maybe it's not a great fit how they, how they do their band. And so I don't play as much with other people as I used to just because it doesn't feel right. But there are still some, like, for example, Grant Langston. I'll... I'll play with that guy anytime. Yeah. You know, I love him. I love the way he runs his show. His yeah. act. I love his act. And I love him as an artist. So it's very easy. And for all the reasons you said, too. It's, it can be fun to kind of show up. And, but the other thing is I've also grown a little more egotistical over the years. I've worked more as a bass player, sideman. Right. Because, you, you know, nobody and can play bass. bass player gets no, unless you're Sting or Jocko Pistorius, yeah. one of which is rich, the other of which is dead. Yeah. You don't get any glory. And it's not even glory. It's just like, you know, I I'm a good. I feel I'm a good bass player. I don't really need. I know it doesn't float my boat just to go play bass. You know, if, if somebody asked me to go play six string for them, that's a bit a little bit more of an expressive role for me now. 
Um, but it's been an evolution. Like I went and played bass with Grant, you know. It's kind of it's kind of on a per act basis, but it is certainly fun for all those things you said. Some of the some of the biggest shows I've ever done in my life, uh, like with big acts on the bill or at big venues, have been as a sideman for other yeah. folks. And uh, you know, certainly, I greatly treasure those experiences. Yeah. And I, I mean, as for me, like to add to that, I like putting on those different hats. Sure. Because I think if you, because you can't approach it the same way. Like you can tell when a bass player, or like when the bass player is really a guitar player a lot of the times, sure. like, because of the way they're playing, I think. But I try really hard to like inhabit that skin. You know, like what, what does it really mean to be a bass player? What does it really mean? You know, don't pretend to be the bass player. You know, don't play with a pick, for God's sakes. <laughs> and go and like, be the glue yeah. that holds everything else together. You yeah. know, I think that's really, really interesting. It's a, you know, it's much more elusive than people think. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a real zen like kind of position to play. I think like like I want to be reincarnated as a reggae bass player. That's the gig that's, to have. I listen to a lot of reggae that's music. The, that's you the know, gig that's... to have. Indeed. Well, let's digress from that. We'll, we'll leave that, just kind of sit there. Sure. Let's hear more about what year was. You got, you got more music from your new record, correct? Yeah, for sure. So what's this? Uh, well, what? let's think here. Uh, you know, I, I actually, you know what? I'm not going to play one from the new record. I'm going to play one that's even even more recent than that. Okay. Does that work for you? Oh, I love, of course. That's, that's one of my favorite things. I love that because it, that happens to me every time I release a record. Like, I'll, I'll do... Um, I'll do a record, and then there's the t- there's the lag time, you know. No matter you know, there's the time for duplication, the time for artwork. Like the record will be done in the can, but there's this long lag between the time that it actually comes out. And invariably, I'm really like my brain's like my songwriting skills. It's it's a really a fertile ground for me at that point. So every time I do that, I wind up playing songs at the CD release party that I've written since the record was done. Of course, which is interesting. And they always wind up on the next record, but by that time they're old hat. Well, that's the thing. I you know. You said prolific earlier. You asked, and and I don't. That that word's a little grandiose for my taste. For for me, other people certainly are prolific. I always find myself writing new songs, and I had a new. I started to have a new batch, and I was thinking, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to record this? And then I thought, wait a minute, you know, let's put the horse before the cart here. Let's get some of these other ones out that are yeah that I've had kicking around for some of them for ten years. It's a I, different job, like arranging for the yeah. band and writing the tune. You yeah. Know. And so I just, you know, I'm always writing, and you know, some of it I even like. And uh, <laughs> and this is this is this is a newer one. I did this probably beginning part of 2012. <clears throat> um, and this one is called "Get It Right Tonight." Right tonight. 
night I know the space between The lovers left unseen And no one can refute What's in your heart Fingers rend the conscience bare And choking on poison air The tears that fall across your face and fall I hear the siren, I feel the echo, I kiss the palm frond, I taste the iron, one band of golden and dusty daylight, well why can't I get it right tonight? was John Lafayette Ramey, and I'm Joe Armstrong. You can learn about him at johnramemusic.com, and that's R-A-M-E-Y. You can learn about me and what we do here on Independence Day at indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P. We've got a website there. We've got over 50 shows backlogged there. You can go back and listen to nearly all of them, and you should be able to listen to all of them pretty soon. Uh, Valentino, my excellent studio manager, and I have been working diligently to get the rest of those on there. So please check it out. We've got some amazing artists back there. John L. Ramey, now, of course, one of those artists. We will be very soon. Uh, and we're happy to have him live here in the studio tonight. Um, so I love like simple, like simple tunes like that, that, like, that say, like, it doesn't really need a whole lot more, I don't think. But when you write, my question is, when you write a song, as someone who's done a couple albums now, do you, in your head, already, are you already formulating, like, what else is going to go on there? Like, as you're, because that's, as you're sitting there writing, like, are you thinking, oh, man, this, this needs, this needs Mellotron right here. Or yeah. are you hearing the solo in your head? Like as you were playing that instrumental part there, I was like, what would that be? What instrument would that be? So what would it be if you were to do that? Well, it's funny that the, the larger topic that you bring up is do I, am I writing for the ensemble I have or an ensemble in mind? And, and yeah, and that song in particular, I'm kind of, 
I'm in a newer phase where I'm just kind of trying to write for one. And uh, it's so a very different experience writing for really one. It's really a different head trip. And uh, there, I don't know, maybe a tack piano, maybe another guitar. I haven't tracked it yet, so I don't know. But um, yeah, there's a solo bit there. But you know, when I do it live, I just kind of do that. I could have played a harmonica part over yeah. it, but I don't, I don't really want to. Yeah. And then taking that farther, like when you write songs like for a record, like how do you decide? Every artist does this differently. I'm really curious. How do you decide what each song is going to be? Because I found like some people really think in depth about this. Like they, like it kind of goes back like the Jeff Tweedy thing from mm-hmm. from that from the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot record, where it's which like, is a triumph of art. It's a triumph of art. <laughs> yeah. But like his whole thing is like it's kind of like you know there are songs we can destroy them if we want to. You know, it's like you write the version, like version A of whatever it is, and then it's up to you. You know, I I love pushing my stuff into different different areas or different different things I wouldn't normally do. You know, maybe it doesn't sound like that, but when I do it, like I'll write a song. Okay, it's a regular, you know, broken-hearted song in G. But what if this was a waltz and it was in B flat and I capoed it here? Or what if I played it on mandolin? Or what if I don't play guitar at all? You know, like uh, what? Where does your imagination go? Or uh, when you think about doing this kind of thing, arranging for a record, um, I really try to find. I really, I kind of rely on my ear, and uh, I'm of the opinion that, you know, when I write a song, maybe I'll play it by myself. Maybe I'll try it live in an acoustic setting, and that'll kind of sand the edges off lyrically. Like if I forget or change a lyric live. I'm kind of like, oh, that's actually how it's supposed to go, right? And then sometimes I'll find my original lyric sheet and say, oh, I've changed that phrase. But Do you record performances? No. Do you record rehearsals? No. I mean, I do, but I don't really use them. I'm not, I don't even want to write songs, to be quite honest with you. I don't even write down chord changes. I just write down the lyrics. And if that doesn't stick, then I don't like it that much. Do you have I mean, a favorite key? Uh, it's drifted over the years. Um, right now I'm really kind of... It's funny, I've entered a, I'm, I think I'm mellowing with age, where, and I would have been horrified to think that year, a few years ago, but I've noticed I don't want to sing as high as much. And uh, so that, you know, keys have changed a little bit for me. Yeah. Uh, just for kind of vocal arrangement. But I try to, when I'm writing a song, I really kind of like, I don't know, like when you put, when you sent something in the water, you watch it settle into the water, right? Like if it's a canoe or something. Uh, does this make sense? Totally, go with it. I just want, you know, I just look for the kind of center of gravity. And then if it doesn't feel right, I, I might, I'd be quicker to bail on a song than an okay. arrangement. Yeah, there, well, there's, like I said, there's... It's also a little bit of impatience on my part. There's kind of two schools of thought. There's like, okay, this is what it... Like, there's, and I, I think I espouse both of these there, as a producer and as an, a writer as well. Like it's... Sometimes the song tells you what it wants to be. You just have to listen. And, and that's sometimes hard to have a song tell yeah. you what it wants to be. Because I've written songs that, I, for the life of me, I couldn't perform a good version of it. But I still think it was a good song. When I, when I kind of gave it to other people, mm-hmm. they did what I thought it should be. Sure. Because I'm limited by my skills, my physical skills as a musician, is as good as I might be or as I am, whatever that means, whatever skill level that is. There are people who have different skill sets who can do that differently. You know, and I've I've even had a song I brought to another band. Like I played on my own, it was never really happy. I loved the song, wasn't really happy with the way I did it. Performed it with another band, another person singing it, and loved it. To me, that's still the best version. But then that person left the band, and it's like, well, okay, damn it, it's still my song, and I I'm going to do it. So I right. took it back, and then it, I struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled to find that version. 
Yeah. I finally did, but it was it was work. It was a lot of trouble. Yeah, I don't. I try not to wrestle with them too much, but I, like I have great admiration for Jeff Tweedy, for example, or for, as you describe that kind of process. Like, yeah, that's the second thing. If I yeah, uh, that's the process that you can destroy it. I'll gra- I I would hope someday to graduate to that. You know, I think. And it, but it, there's different styles too, though. Like different styles of music lend itself to doing that. You know, the Wilco when they started out, you wouldn't have imagined that they would be doing that kind of thing because they were a pretty straight-ahead rock band. Right. Like the growth between AM through Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was a definite a change. You know, same elements, but they really pushed themselves. I think. I think it all comes down to what really smokes you. What like what really kind of sets your antenna, what reaches your antenna, and makes you kind of vibrate with it. And for some people. At, at a certain point of artistic success, this is the story of many bands that managed to hang around for a couple records, they then want to kind of push the envelope because, you know, Wilco, for example, or whatever, Led Zeppelin, like demonstrated a total mastery of being able to execute kind of the conventional song. And so after, at a certain point for them, they, well, Wilco, let's stick with that example, wanted to deconstruct things. And, like, that's a totally legitimate artistic impulse. And, like I said, I hope I get there someday. I'm still trying to execute right every time. And maybe I'll never graduate from that. But, you know, I am also completely okay with the idea that, you know, I maybe I won't be successful artistically as another act. Right. You know, but I'm still, I'm just still in a place now where I want to execute the song as it kind of exists. And, yeah. and maybe if that becomes old hat to me, as it did for the Beatles or Wilco or, as I even said, Led Zeppelin, then, you know, you want to mess with it a little bit. But I've been, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that I might be cut a little bit more from like a... I might have more of kind of like a... I kind of like Ray Charles a lot, and I like Willie Nelson a lot. Those are guys I'm really listening to right now a lot. Yeah, and you know, I don't hear a lot of deconstruction from them. They do and what they do. They kind of do what they do, and they and and that right now speaks a lot to me. Yeah, but you know, whatever. Like, yeah, the, I like Strawberry Fields too. Yeah, there, you know, there's no wrong. You know, that's it's that's the art thing. Like when it, it's there's no wrong way to this. It's like it's I love different artists for different things. Like sometimes people ask me, "What's your favorite color?" And I say, it's a hard question to answer because which one did I just look at? Because you know? well, not only that, but like, well, what what are you talking about? Like like I like red barns and I like silver cars. Yeah, and I like uh, blue suede shoes. I like brown yeah. brown <laughs> yeah. boots and yeah. black hats. Like and every, blue jeans. And you know, I like my guitars to be wood colored, whatever yeah. that means. You yeah. know, like I don't. I don't. I mean, I suppose if you held me down, I, I could pick what I I, I kind of like green because it's summer and summer's green where I come from. Right. But but that's still not even applicable because I, I know it's 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 not it's not an it's an easy answer. It's like A to B answer. Right. People ask me that all the time. Who's your favorite band? Beatles or Stones? Do you like calling basketball more or baseball more or soccer more? I can't do more than one at a time. Yeah. You know what? And you know who's the genius about that is Tom Waits because. He has made a career of making up something on the spot, sure, and never giving the same answer twice, and that has become his character. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. It's like maybe the most brilliant of all sure. because it's like he can be because he's created this persona. He can be whatever he wants to be at any time, and I, you know, I I, I bow before the guy. We had a big flap since last week. This uh, he released a couple uh, press releases. 
like kind of nautical themed press releases with him with a pirate hat on with a sword and these these uh, submarines that look like sharks behind him. Like now, every, everybody thought it was going to be a tour. Yeah, it turned out to just be a music video. Which I, which floored me. Our friend, our our mutual friend Dave Coelho sent me that. Yeah, a link to that. Hell broke loose. Yeah. Yeah. Knocked me on my tush. Amazing. Blew my mind. Amazing video. And I keep asking myself, well, is it worth the hype? But that's the thing. That's the whole Tom Waits mystique. Like, he releases a press release, and all these people go bananas trying to figure out what it could possibly mean. What does it mean? And it's, it's, it's just Tom Waits being Tom Waits. You know, for him, it's like, oh, I have a video coming out. And he knows, I think he has to know this as a showman, as a consummate showman. If he just releases one little thing, you know, people are going to go crazy. Which they did, of course, myself yeah. included. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and, but it's a pretty amazing video. It's an amazing honestly. song, amazing video. And you know what the strangest thing about that, and then I want to hear another song from you, is that Tom Waits is not a topical singer or writer. He's only written two topical songs that I'm aware of, and they're both anti-war songs, and they're both in the past, like, five or six years. So that's what this Hell Broke Loose video mm-hmm. is all kind of, it's very topical and very much to the point, like, it's good, it's a good metaphor, but... It's interesting to hear him go into that mode because, you know, Dylan got branded as this like anti-war activist songwriter. But he right. was just, you know, he said it numerous times. He just does what he does. And Tom is kind of the same way, but he's he's more elusive and uh, hard to pin down. He's created this caricature for himself. So when he does something topical like that, it's really I think it's just it's like 10 times as fascinating. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, who knows if Waits had written his anti-war songs early, he might have been, you know, painted with that brush, yeah. too. <laughs> it's hard to be a, a topical songwriter in the early '70s when you're d- drunk at the piano, right. and you know you can't even see the microphone from the piles <laughs> of cigarettes. Right. Anyway, I'm I'm glad that he pulled himself out of that because he's, 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 he's I bow before the guy. He's such it's ridiculously amazingly talented. He had oh, me, he's, a, he's a master artist. Me. So you got a Tom Waits cover for us, maybe? No, I haven't right. worked one up yet. All right. Uh, so what do you have? Well, you the know, next best thing. The next best thing. There, you know, I sent you those tracks. Or I, I gave you the some some tracks to pick from from the record, and now I'm thinking, what well, can I just play uh, acoustically? Because I don't. I've been playing a lot of solo acoustic shows. I don't play too much from the new record solo acoustic. Uh, it doesn't have to be from the new record, man. It yeah, can be anything. I kind of want it to the, be though. I want, mic- to, I want people to buy this record because a lot of good songs. Well, on we'll it. probably get to another song after this, so don't think it's your last one. All so, right. so just play, play what play what play what moves you, whatever that is at this time. What moves me? All right. Well, you know, this is. I'm going to try this one. I'm. I'm gonna try this one. This is called. Um, this is a song I had from about 2003. I recorded it in 2003, and I haven't really played it live. You record at home? Uh, no, I mean a little bit, not the stuff on the record. Yeah. Okay, John, what's this gonna be, man? Uh, the song is called Mayflowers. Mayflowers. Is this, oh, and it's about actual flowers or about boats? It's about Los Angeles, which is actually what a lot of my songs are about.
It is Rosa She wears flat shoes Eyes of ancient medallions Her lips are so tender You breathe with her now Touching the art of a god Painting the tones of her skin Forever captured On the canvas of your mind The daylight is slipping Your lifetime is ebbing But the birds still sing And God willing May flowers shall forever bloom John Lafayette Ramey with a song in triple meter, man. I love it when people write in triple meter. I haven't figured out if it's 6-8 or 12-8. Yeah, it doesn't matter, to write for at least for my purposes. It's triple meter, which is a beautiful thing because like so much, I feel like so much modern music is in four. You know, like mo- almost all rap is in four. You know, so much like harder rock mm-hmm. is in four. Pop, a lot. You might get a shuffle. In four. You might get a shuffle, still maybe four. a little swing. Yeah. But, you know, you don't get triple meter, man. I love it. It's like a songwriter's purview. It's a good thing. I'm always happy when they show up like that, you know. I always make sure that like every record I do has a song and tri- at least one song and triple meter on it. And I, if I produce a record, I always try to like get that out of an artist too. Like, yeah, gotta, for sure, got to give me something in three, man. You know, one thing I always I don't know if I struggle with it, but it's something I'm very conscious of is um, rhythmic diversity. Um, I think that you know, for songwriters, we all kind of have our sweet spot. Oh yeah, uh, tempo wise, key wise range-wise, and so, you know, I try, I have one song with the Bo Diddley beat, I probably should have a couple more, Yeah. and I have a handful of waltzes, I should have a couple more, you know, quick, quick shuffles are good, you know, little butt kicking shuffles are good. And you've got a gig coming up, you've got a really interesting gig in September uh, on the 5th, it's with Kirsten Prophet at Tex. Yeah. And and it's it's a songwriter in the round kind of thing, like, which makes you, I, I like those events because it, like, it's it like it gives you automatic contrast. Yeah, it's like cool. If, if you're the act playing, you're the act that's playing for your 50 minute set or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like people kind of either tune you out or they don't. But when there's other people there, it's like this automatic contrast, and you kind of have to bring your A game or like your A plus game, because it's like you don't want to just sound like every other songwriter in the room. So you like maybe bring out your Bo Diddley song, or you bring out yeah, your three sure. four song, you bring out your six eight tune, or a song with some crazy tuning or something. You know, it's, you got to do something different. I mean, how will you approach that gig? I don't know yet. 
Um, <laughs> You've got some time, I guess. You know, I think, I mean, it's with my, my great friend Brian Spence and Kirsten Prophet and the gal from American Bloomers is there also. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think um, I'll probably, like you said, I'll have kind of maybe, um, to use a sports metaphor, I'll have a playbook. Okay. And kind of I'll choose from that. Yeah, yeah, Depending yeah. on what's the most contrasting. Yeah, right. I, I joke about that. Like, I'll call an audible on stage. Yeah. You know? I, I've used that phrase for years. Yeah. Like, I'll, I create set lists for most of my yeah. shows, but I always tell the band, like, there, there will most likely be audibles. Yeah, I'm going to change this play at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Very. <laughs> it works. You know, I... I have to say, like, the time I spend around sports has made me a much better musician simply because it's full of people, sports are full of people, at least at the levels I deal with, which are pretty elite, Division One. They're full of people kind of dealing with challenges in the moment, and their job mostly is to keep their mind calm enough to let their natural abilities do their job. And that's been very helpful for me. But also, as long as I can kind of keep everything as a sports metaphor – as boneheaded as that may sound, it keeps me calm. Because I might not understand life, but I do understand baseball or whatever, yeah. you know? So it's like a double metaphor almost. It it's like yeah. you're tricking yourself into having a, like exactly. a reverse double <laughs> inverted yeah. inverted metaphor. It's the trick I play on my mind. It keeps me calm. Yeah. And, but, but music music is very it's – a, it's a I mean, sports is a performance, and music is, Absolutely. is physical. So that's the thing. Like they, It's funny that – like, I, I kind of set this whole thing up by saying that they're kind of in opposition to one another. I mean, and there's a lot of overlap. I mean, like, you've got, this, yeah. you've got the Super Bowl. That's a huge tradition now, having the biggest band in the world sure. play at the Super Bowl. And all how many sports people warm up with ACDC or Dr. Dre or what they're going to do. But, you know, but they're – I don't run into a lot of, like, athletes, like serious athletes who are also serious musicians. I guess that's where the disparity comes from. Sure. Like you get to a certain point, and I feel like you almost have to choose. Well, there's a cult, there's a cultural gulf. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting I at. I mean, look, when it's time for sports and I'm going on the road with the team, like, I might wear these same cowboy boots, but i got to polish them. Yeah. And I don't wear hats or any kind of anything too flashy. I certainly trim up my beard. You know, there, 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 there are cultural differences. But athletes are performance artists, as I Correct. experience them. And as a broadcaster, that's a performance art, too. Right. And so that is kind of how that all makes sense for me. Yeah. And music, like I said, being very, very physical. Like you... Yeah. You, you're using your body, skills, fingers, or voice, or arms, or a combination of mm -hmm. all of them, sometimes all at the same time. And, you know, it's, they're related in ways that I don't think either one would admit, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Or, you know. or even consider. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So they can, you know, can't we just all get along? I guess we can. Well, it's funny. I quit broadcasting for seven years because I thought, I thought it was too square. I, I quit in college. I can't do this anymore. But I'm, there's kids who, like, literally dream of being sportscasters. Sure. Oh, it's just, I would say it's at least as competitive as music in that people of any age will do it for free for the opportunity and for the experience, right? Which yeah. keeps earning a it, challenge. And they both tap Which in, is the same as music. Yeah. It, but they both tap into that narcissistic sure. aspect of human nature where like you you want the biggest microphone you can possibly get. Absolutely. And you want Look, I mean, why do I want people to come to my gigs? Cuz I want them to hear my songs. I want yeah. them to hear me sing. Why do I why do I like being a sports broadcaster? Cuz I like people that turn on the game to hear 
it filtered through me yeah. on some level. I find that very pleasing. Of course. And, well, that's the know. question. Does does do, do more people hear Al Michaels or Bono? Right. You know. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's a lot for both. And, that's what you know, I mean. You know, it's a lot. Yeah. And both men have kind of, yeah, as you said, big microphones. Yeah. I always joke when I'm at a gig, especially if I do like, this will happen sometimes, and it's a great day. Like a Saturday in May, I'll call it 2 p.m. first pitch game at UCLA. And then maybe I'll be playing the ranch party at Farmer's Market, 3rd and Fairfax, at 8 o'clock that night. And, you know, the first thing that jumps into my mind, usually my first line on the stage is, ah, it's stunning to find me in front of a microphone again. You know, it's yeah. just kind of, you know, gee, what a surprise. Yeah, and know? people just, some people just don't even get what that even means. They no, might even know they've heard you. Sure. No, and some people, you know, are there, you know, a lot. I, a lot of the people I work with in, in sports, like um, not not necessarily a lot of the coaches, but a lot of the, the uh, administrative people, the media relations types, um, other people around the teams I work for are really into my shows and come to my shows. Oh, and they cool. think it's super cool, yeah. which is really flattering. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. Like I said, it beats working, you know. Indeed. Indeed it do. How about one more tune before you roll out of here? Do you have another one in you? Oh, Sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? Uh, you know, you've been talking about a cover, right? Do we cover? Yeah, you can do this. You can do a cover okay. now, or you can do a cover, you know, maybe. Oh, may, you know, I'll do, the, I'll do the added value cover later. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> added value. Yeah. <laughs> I never, there you go. Never called it the business term before. Right. So what, um, have, you, what have you got for us, man? I'm going to play, I'm going to play a song that I wrote uh, recently. I wrote this. Um, I wrote this uh, when I got back from being at the College World Series with UCLA. This was like I was home less than 24 hours, and this one just kind of fell out of me. Sweet. What's that? Those are the best kind, man. This one's called Patricia's Rolling Art Show. Just 
beside me, she was there. The rain began to fall out of the gray sky in the morning, and Patricia took me back inside her car. Patricia took me back inside her car. Ladies and gentlemen, John Lafayette Ramey, man, that was really, really, really nice. Thanks. Man. I dig it. Like I, I love, I love story songs, and I love songs that have names of places. It's something that Tom Waits is exemplary at doing. Like every single song has a mention of of a place somewhere because it really gives people something to grab onto, like a real place. I, uh, I almost worry about using it too much. I don't know if it's the journalism or whatever. I don't think you can use it too much. I like it. It's relatable. You can talk about a girl, like picking a girl's name, but it's like for them, it's a metaphor. It's like a yeah. person. It's like it could be anything. You switch any name that just doesn't maybe just doesn't fit in the song. But like places are people. The real places are real. People have been to them, sure, and they have their own memories associated with those places, which then they kind of kind of impart into that song. Yeah, they're right? evocative, right? Yeah, it inhabit. They can inhabit that world with you. There's a there's a line though you that you can cross where it ceases to be art and just becomes like. You know, well, it's re- like recitation, but it's, it's like the band Poison. Like they had every every song had a girl's name. Sure, it's like okay, you, now you've gone too far. Right. But I think it's you know when you've crossed that line. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, yeah. So what's uh, you've got some shows? You've got a bunch of shows coming up. It looks like you've got these farmers market shows, which are good gigs. People outside of LA don't know oh. that these are good gigs. You they actually pay. Well, it's great, and you know, it's a wonderful atmosphere. There's people there. And there are people. It's it's free. Is it? Here's the thing. When you play at a club, you get a very specific populace. Yeah, it's a, a demographic. very specific demographic. At the L.A. Farmer's Market, 
which is not like a farmer's market that is erected and torn down every Saturday. It's like it's been there since the 30s. It's a proper outdoor kind of grocery bazaar, part Coney Island, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And um, uh, our great friend Mark Christian of the band Merle Jagger, it's his night. And he has long been a very uh, generous supporter of, of my music. And so he books me there. And I like to play there. And um, it's free. So I'm playing there on the 18th of August, 7 o'clock, solo acoustic. Somebody might hop up and play with me. You know, anything could happen. Uh, and then September 1st, same deal, 7 o'clock, solo acoustic for an hour. Maybe somebody will play drums. I haven't quite figured that out yet. It's it's pretty mellow, you know. Yeah. And then uh, I'll be there again on the 29th of September. All these are Saturdays. Yeah. The music starts at 7. That's the opening acoustic act. And on the 29th, I'll play from 8 to 10. I'm the, I'll okay. have a full band. I'll have the full... Oh, very nice. The orchestra, as I refer to it. And it's no long... Is it still the Alan B. Shepard no. Memorial Orchestra? No, the first album I put out was me, my name, and then the Alan B. Shepard Memorial Orchestra. And um, the membership has changed. And also that original membership, certain key members couldn't be bothered to remember the whole deal. And so I thought, well, maybe it's not as clever as I thought. Yeah. So it's just John... And the orchestra, or John Lafayette, Ramey, and the orchestra. Yeah, I dig it, man. That's cool. And then you've also got that Kirsten Prophet gig at Tex on the fifth. On the September. fifth, it's songwriters, and they're also free. Also free. Time I, for that one? Uh, nine. Does it start around nine or ten there? I nine. Think? Nine. It, we'll say nine. Okay. I mean, if it's not at nine, we'll hang out. And you've got a pretty extensive website. Everybody can find out what you're about. They can stop by johnramymusic.com, yeah. or they can follow you on Twitter, John L. Ramey. So you know, be the, not like you can't be found. No, I'm. You know, I'm open for business, man. Good. Well, and uh, starting at the end of August, you can listen to me call UCLA Soccer on UCLABruins.com. Very nice. Yeah. And you've got this new record, Reminiscent Killings of the Heart, which is en route to L.A. as of the day after tomorrow. Yeah, it ships. And you said that people could find you. They could find you. You'd probably get one before, like, a hard release. But it'll be available around the 15th of, of, of this month or so, you said. Sure. I mean, I should have it in my hands physically by the 15th and uh, certainly for sale on that gig at the Farmer's Market on yeah. the 18th. And then it'll be on my website and through iTunes and everything else. What do you sell a disc for these days? Well, it's a double album. Um, I don't know. Like 50 bucks? No. <laughs> I mean, it's I, my my first one has 11 songs, and that's nine ninety nine. This yeah. one has 19 songs. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to pin yeah, you down. No, maybe, for, maybe I'll set it at 15. I mean, the yeah. cool thing about being an independent artist is I don't have to share it with anybody. Yeah. It's so, all profit, man. I can set a double album price at 15, which may sound low, but... Yeah, well, who's doing a double album anymore? I, I mean, honestly, it was a super ego move. I'll be really oh, it's honest. Oh, I was like, I, I, was like I have a lot of songs. Yeah. By golly, I'm going to do this. I love the audaciousness of it. Yeah, and I probably won't do another audacity? one. Audacity? I think it's probably audacity is the probably right word, right? You know, yeah, but... That's okay. <laughs> I, can, I can bend the language. It's my language. Hey, man. It's rock don't, and roll. Don't box me in, man. Yeah, I can't handle your rules, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, thank you, John Ramey, very much for coming out, doing this thing with us here on Independence Day. Uh, keep on trucking, man. We mean, we'll send some people out to these shows. Uh, let me know when you've got more shows. We'll try to spot, you know, try to promo them as much as we can. You know, it's good to it's good to keep the independent thing going. That's that's pretty much what everybody's doing nowadays, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, it's a beautiful thing to be invited and. Uh, you know, this is a wonderful show. This is the show's an institution in the community, so oh, it's really. I'm blushing. I hope so. We're trying. We're building it, man. We're trying to be an institution. And so again, thank you, John Ramey. So as always, thanks to John Lafayette Ramey, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, 
also to the inimitable Valentino Rivera. For Lancer Radio and Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Be good to one another.